This is Journey with Care. We're starting our new series, Loving the Stranger Among Us. Hey, let me tell you about my friend Phil, who's sponsoring this new series. In our fast-paced world, don't you just long for a simpler and more sustainable life? Maybe you're a business owner or a leader of a nonprofit organization or somebody facing complex financial situations. I've got some great news for you. There exists on this planet good people who are both smart with finances and they have a great big heart to see you and those you care about flourish. See, I've got this friend, Phil. He's the kind of guy you want on your team. As a former board treasurer of Care Impact, I can't begin to tell you the value he brings to organizations wanting to thrive. Phil and his team at MNP help hone in on valuable data, can revamp governance structures and policies, and harness technology for growth. They're here to cater to your professional service needs, covering areas like governance, information technology, financial planning, business development, and of course, accounting and tax planning. So here's what you can do. Call Phil to discuss your situation with him. Phil loves to network and meet new people. And of course, your privacy will always be protected. Thanks, Phil, for sponsoring this new series and for extending your care to our growing Care Impact community and podcast listeners. Again, that's 204-336-6151 for a free consultation with our friend, Phil. And while you're at it, thank him for making this podcast series possible. Well, today we're starting a new series, Juicy Topics, called Loving the Stranger Among Us. And I'm really pleased to have with us in studio our guest, Rohadi Nagasar. Rohadi is a, a writer, an entrepreneur. He's a nonprofit developer. He's a pastor comes to us living on Treaty 7 land in Calgary, Alberta, and he's a, both a practitioner and a thought leader. He's planted three churches. This could go on and on. He is a guy that you want to meet, and I'm so delighted to have him with us in studio. He's written several books, and one particularly that we're going to be really focusing in on, his most recent book, When We Belong, Reclaiming Christianity on the Margins from Herald Press. And if you like podcasts like you are right now, I encourage you to listen to his podcast, Faith in a Fresh Vibe. Uh, Rohadi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for including me in this new series. Oh, it is a pleasure. I was listening to your book all summer long and listening and re-listening to certain chapters, and they just landed with me. I was already planning this series, and I thought, I wonder if Rohadi would be able to come onto the podcast. We love getting different voices across Canada speaking to this, and I couldn't be more delighted than you speaking on this topic, uh, loving the stranger among us. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to write on this topic when we belong? Yeah, well, first off, and uh, thanks for what it sounds like getting the audio book. That's pretty neat. Not that many people get the audio book. You helped me uh, do my whole landscaping, I have to tell you. I was, <laughs> was, I was I there? <laughs> pumping these topics through while I was yeah. doing landscaping. I loved it. Awesome. How did I get to start? Well, the book was a different idea to start with. It was about bringing people who I thought were remarkable on the fringes of uh, probably Christianity in the church, and they were just operating, doing, living, despite circumstances. But in reality, it was, it's my story. It's my story written out about growing up in a predominantly white evangelical tradition and what I would name as white now, but always wondering, why didn't I fit in? I'm obviously not white. So I decided to make sense and start to name the aspects that were pulling me from living out my whole self. And 
realizing that the story that I had was one through a particular intersection around ethnicity and race, but it was the same story for so many others who have experienced a sense of a need to deny parts of themselves in order to fit in, in order to find belonging within churches. And churches, by and large, only use Canada as our context here. I have used a strong word before of largely incompetent at connecting with people who don't look like it, don't vote like it, people who look, earn, think, act, live probably in the same place, around the same age, were churches dominated by sameness, and not ones with distinct competencies around how to go wider in our, well, the topic of this podcast, how to be hospitable, and how that is a new ethic for the church, not new, for the church to embody. Yeah, and I think that's possibly you articulated why your work resonated with me, because you were putting language to things that I was processing. People can't see me either, but I am that white evangelical sitting across from you um, having this conversation. But my family, including my husband and all my children, are multiracial, multiethnic. And we've had challenges in our own church experience trying to navigate that, not just in ethnicities, but neurodiversities and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. How do we honestly create inclusion? And and I, I think you helped articulate some of those things that we didn't know how to put language to. Yeah. What's been the response from others, both visible minorities and also the white evangelical church who, who you've come from with experience with? Uh, what has their response been to your work? Yeah, sometimes it's hard to get a sense of response, especially in our day and age in pandemic times. I don't travel around and, and visit churches or, or folks who are, who are necessarily uh, reading, but there is a sense around the work of decolonizing and deconstructing Christianity that this doesn't explain much, but it's in many ways at the forefront of the conversation. So folks are not quite there yet but they certainly benefit from the naming. And so those are skills that many are looking for. I just don't have a name. I couldn't put into place what is happening, what is being incurred on my body, what is being absorbed. And so you feel it. And those are what I name in the book as that ain't right moments. And we all have this sense of, wait, wait a minute, this, this ain't right. And to be able to give name means you drag the things that aren't right into the light. And once you can name and make sense of what it is that is seeking to make you less whole in the church, from there you can figure out pathways to a potential solution, pathways to wholeness. That's not always easy, however, within the context of a traditional church. Yeah. And sometimes it can be hard for people to relate who have not had a lot of exposure to diversity, period, um, yeah. to really know. But I think one of the things that I try to help people when I'm speaking to people is saying, remember a time where you felt you didn't belong. You felt like that stranger. We can all derive, no matter what privilege we've come from, but we can all recall a time that we have felt outside. We have felt different from when that ain't right, you said moments, mm. we, we may all be able to identify it. However, 
I will put myself into that category so often. And I often say this, I can go almost anywhere and feel like I belong. I've been given this power almost that I didn't even ask for, but I'm part of this systemic racism that I've just been given privilege. But we've all had those times where we feel like a stranger. And to the topic of this upcoming series that I'm so excited about, Loving the Stranger Among Us, we can often think, you know, the the Bible verse, love your neighbor as yourself and be a good neighbor. Well, often we reduce that within the church. It's like, I brought a casserole to the lady that had a baby, or I know so-and-so, and and I gave them a ride. Those are loving people that we already have included, we feel belonging with. Uh, What I really want to look at uh, in this series is loving the one that we don't know, that we we feel we are strangers to and trying to cross those divides because we can easily get ourselves off the hook and say, I'm a good person. I, I was kind to so-and-so, but it can go within our cliques and uh, we'd like to push beyond that. In your book, um, there's a quote that really stood out to me that I would love to dig into a little bit more. You've said, belonging should be abundant, available to all, so all may flourish and be whole. Can you expound on that sense of belonging? Well, do you believe that? Like, do you believe that all people should be able to live out their whole selves, their gifts, and they should be able to pursue their dreams, that they have this liberation? So you said prior about everyone having these moments where they're this stranger, and that's true, but some more than others. Absolutely. And we need to interrogate within the church in what manner we have been formed in these bedrock ideas, like the DNA of the Canadian church, doesn't matter what tradition you're part of, the DNA, the bedrock pieces that influence the manner we see the other. So an example would be right now, there's war breaking out in Israel and Palestine, Mm -hmm. and where your position is on that atrocity of war reveals in many ways what you think of the other. Yes. Do you dehumanize certain people, Palestinians or Israelis, or do you look at the land that is under strife and say all should be able to belong and live out their whole selves? I think that's the Christian ethic. I think that's the call that Jesus is, is drawing us towards. I would say that churches, by and large in Canada, don't have distinct competencies, and and leaders haven't been trained around this either, of how to lead homogenous churches into something that's more diverse. I don't also know if that's the right direction for churches that have been ingrained in the concept of sameness. Like churches are are secure spaces, they're community, they're they're built out of some sense of familiarity. So is that church going to suddenly pick up the new ideas of how to become diverse? I don't think they will. I think that's too big of a leap. Why do you think that's a big of a leap? I'm wondering, I'm just wondering if if this lands with you. I wonder if underlying all of that, that's preventing us from diversity, preventing us from inclusion is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of lack of control of what could be. 
fear of nuances yeah. and, and gray spaces because it's easier to be black and white and say, thus saith this denomination, than lean into those those hard spaces and sit with yeah. with lament, sit with turmoil, sit with disagreements and and be good at sitting in conflict. Yeah. And how many churches are good at sitting in conflict? Mm. So the notion of fear, yeah. I don't think it's across denominational lines. I don't think it's theological opinion, although that mm-hmm. was part of of how you differentiated yourself back in grandma's church, right? Mm-hmm. But today it's not the same, although the churches, I don't know, have shifted much. So there perhaps is a fear, but I think it's a fear of the other now and attributed to a fear of losing inherited power and privilege. Mm-hmm. That's a big fear. I think when you look at Canada and all the convoy and all the mess of, of freedom and so forth like that, that's a real fear embedded in the notion of losing inherited power and privilege. Right. So how do you deal with that? And a lot of churches are, are in the mix there of either tacit support or condoning. How do you hold those hard questions? And let's say even a community might hold differing opinions. Mm -hmm. How do you hold that well? So we haven't even breached the outer walls of the church building yet. We're trying to deal with inside and how we might handle difference of ideas. Uh, Look at the question of, of affirming churches, of whether or not you're going to include LGBTQ2 plus folks. So churches are splitting off and denominations are fracturing right now as we speak because they will not affirm and some don't want to affirm. So there's another example of how do we hold that? Well, and even more simplistic than that, will you wear a mask or not wear a mask? Will you do this or that? It, it, it's become so divisive. Yeah. It's, well, I think that one's lost. Mind-boggling. So. Well, it is. That yeah, one's lost. But- there's, there's no like church that stopped very few churches that stop meeting for the sake of including immunocompromised disabled bodies into their into their community. That, that's a great example, very current example of how another intersection on disability, churches are vastly incompetent and would rather go with the 99 rather than mm-hmm. stretch out for the one. Oh, it's, that's so wild. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, it, it gets me every time. And I love the example that Jesus, I know the answer is always Jesus, but I love the example how Jesus handled the context of his day. There was always people, and I find even in my role, we work across denominations in a lot of different sectors, public sector, government, indigenous uh, sectors. We work with a lot of people around our table, but mostly from the church, I get these questions of what's our positioning on this? And what, what they're asking is, can I work with you? Can we be friends? And what I I take from Jesus when he was working with Sadducees, Pharisees, and the people of his day, I verbed it. He Jesus is around these questions. What they're asking is not really what they're asking. They're they're trying to like peg you. And so I feel like uh, in the church, there's a need to kind of figure out what your positioning is. I would just love to say, could we just see people in the image of God as a theological premise? to every other discussion. Because after that, everything's so nuanced, isn't it? It doesn't mean that we don't have theological convictions or we don't have our own experiences and journeys that we've been walking through. It doesn't invalidate all that, but we could still stay at the table even if we're disagreeing. Sorry, this is, you just got me triggered here on a a good soapbox. (laughs) 
Well, standing on a soapbox of image-bearing humanity, I think, is the core principle of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Not about whether we can save souls up into heaven in the clouds, but rather can we unlock the unfolding, already unfolding kingdom of God and see that kingdom enable, open the door, be a part of the flourishment of each of us so that we, we all may live out their image-bearing beauty. What we have instead are, are many ideas, theological convictions that counter that. Amen. That could preach. I know you you mentioned the the current war situation, and that is just devastating to watch in our day and age. Um, this happening, and and sometimes uh, people ask, so what, what's your opinion? As if there's like a which side are you on, or there is only one side if you're a Christian. And I I did peace mediation work in in, in Palestine, in the West Bank, and Israel, and in a time we were there were no tour buses, and all mm. I can say is. People are people, and destruction is destruction, and war is war. It's just, it saddens me, but it's so nuanced. It, it, anybody that gives a simple answer in response to a complex war like that, anybody that can say straight out, this is my positioning, and these people are good or bad, or these are on the outside or inside, it's revealing more incompetency than it is their understanding theologically of who we are and and who uh, humanity is made in the image of God. That it's it's a little more complex. We kind of get ourselves off the hook when we we try to polarize people. I believe. I think it's a reflection of theological competency. So you have that position because your theology either dictates or affirms it. And so, in what manner do we say your theology and your traditions are actually causing harm? Yeah. Just as a, a little uh, preview for our listeners to what we are going to be talking about in the upcoming four weeks, we're going to look at the anatomy of a stranger. And so each week we're going to have different uh, people coming onto the podcast. One, we're going to talk with the settled stranger. We're going to talk about colonization in the white church as as settlers, uh, myself included, as settlers on this land. What does it mean to be settled strangers here in Canada uh, we're also going to be talking about the estranged indigenous, those that were from the First Nations and, and Inuit peoples that are from this land, that have stewarded this land long before the nation of Canada was established. We're going to have those conversations. And we're also going to talk about the visible stranger, those that you automatically see, oh, they don't look like us. They don't really fit into this. We're going to look at a lot of different, what does it look like? Who are we talking about? We're going to talk with some visible strangers. And then also, finally, we're going to talk about the invisible strangers among us, those we alienate without even knowing. We want to have a conversation of what it means to love the stranger among us, because so often the strangers among us hidden in plain sight. So I'm excited that we're going to be talking with individuals that would identify some estrangement in, in their background, and we're going to bring that to the church and have a rich conversation Rohadi, I'd love to hear your perspective. I, I loved listening to you in the in the audiobook, but I would love for our listeners to hear a little bit more on your take on hospitality. You've been doing church planting, you've been doing hospitality. What does hospitality mean to you as a faith believer? I think that for multi-ethnic folks, there's a default that you understand intersections better. That doesn't mean I get them all. So in the 
book, I do say in our context that there is a particular gaze that we hold up as dominant, as normal, a straight white man and then a white woman after, the, after that, and then everything sort of trickles down. And we try to match that gaze uh, to say, okay, this is what normal or comfortable looks like. Or the gaze doesn't hit you like it doesn't to me, although patriarchy works for me pretty well. You know, <laughs> doesn't for me so much. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So there's an intersection. So being alert to uh, and aware, and I have a chapter on wokeness, but I don't use that term. That's a term out of Black tradition and culture. So being aware of these different intersections, like for me in this past three, four years, I've learned quite a bit more about my ableism, right? My ingrained ableism. So there is, I think, a learning. Maybe think of your church and how in Canada we have now seems to embraced more aspects of reconciliation in that work. In what manner you are drawing towards the learning aspects, because I think that there is a learning aspect there. I'm not sure if you can jump all the way into, well, let's just be more hospitable to the people who don't look like us, because that falls into a couple of dangers. The first one is you will repeat the same systemic inequalities that you've always known. So you actually have to do the internal work, both individually and systemically, so individually and as a church together, to interrogate how you are embodying systemic problems. Because you don't want to repeat those systemic problems when you go out and try to love people who don't look like you or not like you. Uh, the second part is the church is, and this is broadly speaking, a harmful place for those on the margins. So why would they ever trust you? Mm-hmm. I don't think they have to. And I think it's a harmful position for a church to just show up, and it used to act like this, probably still does, show up on scene and be like, hey, the church has arrived, we have all the answers, or come to our meal, or come to our dinner, or come to our one-off event. But Rahadi, if, if you just have enough bouncy castles and hot dog stands, surely the they'll know that love you love you. them. The neighborhood <laughs> will love you. I mean, think of that we had the biggest bouncy castle hot dog party, and we then wrote down the numbers for that, and we made it. So there's something deeper and more embodied than those one-off events, which are, which are fine, but they don't solve any systemic problem whatsoever. They don't actually draw you into deeper relationship. And that relationship piece is dependent on you, again, doing that work behind the scenes internally and also together systemically of figuring out how you have brought harm in the past and how you may draw in in a better way towards reconciling, repairing unto right relationship. That's the key. The answer, I don't know if churches have competencies again around those things. I don't even know if the denominational rep who's supposed to be about social justice or whatever it is that has these can come in and show you the way either. I just don't know if churches, unless you've already been on the ground doing things well in certain, probably just a microcosm, how are you going to extend into just a simple one thing? So I think it is just that. You have to try to figure out the simple one thing. Chances are mm -hmm. you already have somebody in the congregation who's really good at hospitality, or this is more likely, you have someone in the neighborhood community who's doing amazing things and all you have to do is champion, come beside, come behind, and merely support that. Join. Church always likes to act as though 
it must own things, that justice only arrives when the church does. None of those are true. And certainly Canadian culture has pushed to a point where we'll just operate fine without a participating church. Let the church just operate on its own and, and in its closed doors. But if we were able to join what was already unfolding, because the kingdom goes with or without a participating church, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. It's great if you embody and pick up the pieces and participate. Yeah, that's the point for sure. But God doesn't need us. So yeah, maybe try to figure out the easy wins. These, these can be easy wins. Join the things that you otherwise would have tried to own or start your own ministry or outreach program or whatever. It's like, uh, there's probably stuff already happening and you can just jump on board. Yeah, that that's kind of you you kind of gave the elevator pitch for why Care Impact exists because the the care portal that we have is a tool that we've been working with. It's just a tool, but in areas that we've been partnering with churches and also frontline services, we've been uh, mapping out where where are people doing good things both in hmm. the faith sector and also within government, indigenous sectors and all these nonprofits. There's a lot of people that are actually working with competencies in their area, but they're needing community because at the end, I came from nonprofit world. I knew there was never enough programming and and staffing and funding enough to to meet the the relational poverty needs that I was experiencing or seeing uh, amongst our clientele and our community. But we needed people to be people and relational, and so that's why we brought in the portal so that in real time, people in their neighborhoods would be able to know how to support a mom in reunification, how to help a youth that is aging out in appropriate ways. Mm. And, and that's why we're also dedicated. If we're going to be bringing people to the, the doorsteps, we have to do some competency building in our academy. And uh, we're pretty passionate about that because we can talk about hospitality, but unless it really is at a relational level, at a core level, it just becomes programs and fluff. And I think people are asking for, for sure, ser social services and community are asking for an authentic church that could really meet them where they're at, where, where the needs are. And I don't know how many times in my previous work, I've had these families, these refugee families with like five frozen turkeys and hampers. Mm -hmm. And those are all with good intentions, but they didn't know what these birds were. And they really just needed somebody to have tea with. But if we could stop to ask. So I think um, what I'm hearing from you is, is a very relational call to hospitality. It's taking out the bells and whistles and really saying, how can I humanize uh, my community? Are there any other practical ways that you would suggest, even from your own experiences growing up in Canada, that you would suggest our listeners to how they could love the strangers among us well? A hard question because the default answer for the churches who even go this far, and many do not, is relationship. That reconciliation is relationship and so forth. But I've already said the caveat to that, and that's harm, in that the church is, has long been known to bring harm to those on the margins. That's not to undo a lot of really neat, usually inner city churches that have been doing stuff in the inner city forever. Not to take away from any of those types of programs that are happening. But what does it mean to embody an ethic of hospitality? It certainly means that you also have an ethic that goes along with that of humility. Mm -hmm. But if you are known to bring harm as a whole, then 
you have to simultaneously be doing that internal work, and that's hard work. And I don't think a lot of church folks, a lot of Christians, understand how hard it is to scratch at the bedrock pieces of our formation. And we can't see it, if you, especially if you're white. You can't see what the bedrock formation is, because to you, that's just normal. So if you're not interrogating white supremacy in the church, if you're not interrogating patriarchy, if you're not looking at what it means to be straight or how queer folks don't fit in, your ableism, so forth, so forth. If you're not asking those questions, you can think about relationships, but at some point you're going to bring harm. So I'm reticent to participate with, like I wouldn't send anyone to a church if they needed stuff, unless it was just straight up program, because that relational piece is so key and, and there needs to be a developed trust. So how do you get there? I don't know. I think it is indicative of how deeply, profoundly broken our churches are when it comes to hospitality. So find those in your community who are doing this work. It's like the parable of the wedding feast as Jesus shared about how the rich homeowner sent out his workers to say, the wedding feast is ready, invite all of the folks to come in. And then folks started to give excuses. Remember this story? They started mm -hmm. to give excuses. Oh, I just got married. Oh, I have to take care of my cows. Oh, and so the landowner's like, okay, this uh, infuriates me go out into the streets and not merely go out into the streets. There's an added piece of go out into the countryside. So go out to the poor and then go out to the really, really poor and invite them as well. And there's a critical piece of the story. And that is the employees, they might be even named slaves. Uh, they come back and they say, well, we, we, we already did that. They don't come back actually. They, in the conversation, they say, we already did that and there's still room. So that's, that's a clue to me in that this landowner, this, the feast that was about to happen, the host of the party is already known for having an expansive table that invites those on the margins. And those with privilege don't want to participate with it. So they're out. He's already known to invite those on the margins. And so this is a picture of, I think, and there are many interpretations, but I think of the feast table mm -hmm. of God's kingdom, that God has already known that the last shall be first at this table. And so in what manner can we as church embody that ethic, where in fact we usually try to satiate the demands of the most privileged who are at the table? So that's a real topsy-turvy kind of way that Jesus asks us to organize our communities. So yeah, the answer is Jesus. Like you said at the start, and now we, we draw it to the end, the answer is Jesus. But whose Jesus are you holding? Mm -hmm. Made in your image? Is it Jesus who only stands with certain people of certain nations, of certain wealth, of income? We have to ask ourselves those questions and be ready to be transformed by a renewed, because hospitality is not new to us, but a renewed yeah. 
ethic of what it means to organize our communities that should exist for one another, to love one another, but also intentionally exist for the other. Yeah. You know, I, I was just in the greater Toronto area uh, a few days ago, and I, I went to this theater uh, production by Tim. Google it. It's called My Little Plastic Jesus. And it's talking about some of those same constructs that we have created for ourselves that embody Christianity in what makes us feel comfortable, us as in uh, my tradition, in in my upbringing, my own experience. And and so much of that landed so deeply. And, and I, I do believe that we have the good news in all of this uh, is that it is leaving people questioning. It's asking the right questions. It is getting people saying, okay, hey, is this all there is to faith? And I think that it, that should be an encouragement. I hope that people do not feel discouraged when people are asking those tough questions because that is an actually invitation down this journey of doing difficult things, having difficult conversations, becoming more competent as we lean in and ask the right questions. I think where I'm more fearful of is people stop asking the questions. They become black and white, rigid, and and cutting people out of the conversation, saying you belong at this table of discussions and you do not. And so I hope it is encouraging for people to hear that where there are doubts, that's actually not a bad thing. Uh, we we need to be asking those questions. And I would just want to encourage our listeners too to get comfortable with discomfort. And you can certainly do that here on this series uh, with Journey with Care. We're going to go into some really neat conversations, not to threaten you, but to challenge each other. I know for myself, I am a white evangelical and I love Jesus, but um, I have been challenged. And I would say my teachers have been the people that do not look like me, have not had the experiences from me, and I have to sit with. And there's this transformation that happens that I'm, I'm deeply indebted to. To respond to you, that's such a basic piece of where to go now, and that you have learned from those who don't look like you, think like you, talk like you. That's a core principle, I think, if we have been shaped and formed so for me, and this would be the same for many, even going to seminary, I mean, I was lucky it started to crumble there, but why were all these books and podcasts weren't around, but uh, pastors, all white men, shaped and formed me, all, mm-hmm. and intentionally for the past 20 years to come out of that into a whole new set of thinking. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love your invitation. It's invitation into dwelling in those hard questions. But I think that there needs to be a posture change in the church, especially one that is used to being at the forefront of being in charge, of being in power. That that power is no longer inherited, especially culturally now, unless you're only talking to people in your camp. That is eroded. So our posture, I think, changes to a place where we can play run support. Mm. You know, maybe your time is done at the forefront and your role now, you're not going to figure it out in what time you have left, but you can incrementally shift and change and those ought to be celebrated. And while that is happening, the posture is now to just support those who are leading now. And that's not always the church or those might be different churches, different leaders, different traditions. Do we have expansive vision for the kingdom of God to do such a thing? Mm, I hope so. Well, and I know we have to conclude. We could keep talking about this, and I would love to have you back. But 
that note of that humility, having a, a posture of humility is something that we can all lean into. And we've got to start where we're at and really be open to God opening our eyes to not what we want to see ourselves as, but where we really are at and and being that student. It's okay as Christians. Yes, Jesus is the answer, but it's okay that we don't know all the answers mm-hmm. and that we can learn and listen and do our homework, not necessarily making everybody else do the work for us for inclusion, but that we would be listeners and learners and humble and and hungry for for truth and hungry and humble to learn more of how God created others in his image and not in our own. And I just want to encourage, maybe it's just a matter of like, make that one call to action. Like maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's just inviting your neighbor over for coffee or tea or what makes that go watch a soccer game. What is it that you can connect with? Because it's in those connection points that Jesus was calling out his disciples. It's in those connection points that Jesus sat with, not trying to make a project out of anyone, but he was with people and they felt heard and seen. And so let's do that today. Let's find that person or let's see those people. We don't have to even find them. They're right in front of us in the grocery aisle. Let's see people as Jesus would see and let's listen and we don't have to have the the answers. Rohati, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Again, we'll put the, the links into our show notes, but hope people listen or, or buy your books, read your books, follow you on your, your podcast, Faith on a Fresh Vibe, is it called? Faith in a Fresh Vibe. All right. Thanks so much, Rohati. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining another conversation on Journey with Care. We're here to inspire curious Canadians on their path of faith and living life with purpose in community. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church to journey well in community. Visit our website at journeywithcare.ca to connect with Care Impact, find the latest updates on our weekly episodes, details about our upcoming events, meetups, and information about our incredible guests. You can also leave us a voice message, share your thoughts, and connect with like-minded individuals who are on their own journeys of faith and purpose. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. Together we can explore ways to journey in a good way. And always remember to stay curious. 